Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Kadari Candace Johnson. Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, Burlington, Iowa. Warning. The following episode you're about to listen to will contain evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Resident Jenna Sansoni lives only a few hundred feet from the spot where Kadari Johnson's body was found. Tell me what you heard the night that Kadari Johnson was killed. I heard three gunshots. Did you know immediately there were gunshots? Yes. It's Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, in Burlington, Iowa, just a few hours south of Des Moines. 16-year-old, gender non-conforming, as well as gender non-binary teenager, Kadari, also affectionately known as Candace, was hanging out with some friends earlier that day when she they as well had went along to a store and when they went to the store one of the things that they um, encountered was someone by the name of Jorge Galvez Sanders not directly though the two had not officially met but they would pass each other inside of that store however within a few hours by 10 30 p.m on the night of March 2nd Kadari would be found dead in the alleyway off of 4th Street. Now, 
What's interesting as we begin to go through this case, welcome everyone. You know, this is our first case that really talks about gender non-binary, gender non-conforming, and I'm so excited to be able to share that piece of knowledge with our listeners who may not know much about um, our beautiful non-binary and gender non-conforming community. And then I'm also just, you know, excited to be able to share um, the story with you of Kadari and to raise awareness around the violence that is happening towards our gender non-conforming, fluid, gender non-conforming community members. So again, this case involves a lot of twists and turns. Um, It's gonna take years to come to a conclusion. Throughout this case, we're gonna hear footage from the trial, from the victim, Katrina Johnson, um, that is Kadari's mom. So we're gonna be hearing footage uh, footage from both of those events um, throughout this episode. So I'm excited again to have you all tuning in and listening in. We're going to go through and talk about what it means to express yourself, to identify with neither gender, and then also navigating that through a space and also really understanding who Kadari was, right? Because they really was bold and outspoken and proud of who they were in high school. And one of the things that really resonated with me with this case was the ability to to resonate with Kadari because we both you know, I came out as trans at 16 in 2006 and Kadari was already being so proud and bold on social media and throughout school and a very well-liked teen as well. So um, again, a really, really very supported school. Uh, fortunately, um, the perpetrators of this case were not classmates of Kadari's. So um, these were individuals that Kadari had not known prior. Um, but Kadari's high school experience overall was relatively good, especially um, with those close friends of theirs. Um, But again, as we prepare to go through this case, we're going to dive in and really start talking about some of those specifics. And that's what we're going to go into right now. I want to again take you back to the night of March 2nd of 2016. It's a cold night, you know, just a week before, you know, spring break in Burlington. It's a couple of weeks before St. Patrick's Day. And it's a cold winter night um, in Burlington, Iowa. And 16-year-old Kadari, a.k.a. Candace, was, um, had spent that Wednesday night, that Wednesday at school, and then also leaving school and going to hang out with a few friends. Well, around that evening, around 8 p.m., um, Kadari is seen on camera at a grocery store. Um, and that grocery store, Kadari goes in there, you know, browses around, and you can see this on CCTV footage. And what's really interesting is that Kadari is navigating through the store, getting, you know, shopping around, browsing around. It's a little after eight o'clock on March 2nd, you know, carefree Kadari, you know, just having a good time. And in walks Jorge and Jaren. And these two names are gonna be very pivotal because they both are cisgendered men. One was 28 by the name of Jaron Perham, um, cisgendered black male. And then you had 23 year old um, biracial, multiracial um, Jorge Sanders Galvez. And so what's really interesting is that uh, these two individuals who are the perpetrators of this case and was ultimately convicted as we go through this, but 
was again you highlighted what's visible throughout the CCTV footage on March 2nd is that you see them go inside of the store as well as Kadari's walking through. However, they do not meet inside the store. What we see on that CCTV footage, my audience, is Kadari leaving the store around 8.30. They had actually stayed around and kind of used the Wi-Fi to, um, you know, just also check in with some friends because there was like a local um, coffee shop that was inside of this grocery store that also had Wi-Fi for customers. And so Kadari was utilizing that Wi-Fi. And as they're using that Wi-Fi, you know, you can see again, Jaren, and you can see George come in to the store. Um, you know, again, it could be suggested that they were looking for um, cis women at that time. They were known for bringing cis women back into their apartment, um, which was, you know, not necessarily in Burlington, but they were known for um, having women over. So we do believe that on that night, that Wednesday night of March 2nd, 2016, and it was a, a winter night, it was snowing, it was cold. So uh, in that footage, you can see Kadari covered up in layers of, um, you know, jackets and, you know, and really just trying to get home. Um, they lived with their mom, Katrina, and a sibling. And so Kadari was really well loved coming from a single parent household. Katrina um, spoke fondly and will speak fondly of, um, of Kadari and just how proud of Kadari um, as a mom she was for Kadari standing in their truth and always being bold and, and just navigating through spaces, but always was afraid for Kadari's safety. Um, definitely made mention of that very often. When Kadari first identified on the sexual orientation spectrum as um, queer and or gay, um, again, Katrina was very supportive of that relationship um, and, and that, that whole that whole process for Kadari. But again, always worried that Kadari could be placed in violent situations. And so um, one of the things that Katrina wanted to do as a single mom, right, because Kadari is um, as black as African-American, the victim in this case. And so Iowa, which is a very, you know, predominantly white um, state, you know, of course has and on and off again has had its issues racial relations especially in the bigger city like Des Moines and so Katrina wanted to have a fresh start for Kadari and Kadari's younger sibling and with that being said they relocated to Burlington Iowa around 2014 just as Kadari was beginning their freshman year of high school so Kadari really got the opportunity to go into high school in a new space and really be themselves and as Kadari was going through high school from freshman year to sophomore year they really began to express um, you know wearing um, effeminate clothing wearing clothing that was very identifying of them and their gender and their gender expression and so Kadari then um, around 2015 came out to their mom as gender non-conforming and gender non-binary now Katrina at this time was again very supportive but was always very 
worried for Kadari's safety. Not necessarily in high school, though there was some evidence of bullying in certain spaces within the high school because we do have to be understanding or not understanding, but also cognizant of the fact that, you know, not everyone's always going to be as supportive. Even though I came too from a supportive high school, there were classmates who were not the most supportive. So you do get that in spaces even as liberal or open as they may be. So again, um, Kadari was very well received in high school and even began to express and um, you could see Kadari began to wear braids and longer hairstyles and was very, very open in their gender fluidity. So as we go into this case again, I want to take you into the night of Kadari Johnson's murder. And so this hateful homicide, it again happened when Kadari was leaving that night. It was around 8.45 p.m. On March 2nd, Kadari leaves the grocery store, heads out. The outside CCTV footage, you can see Kadari on their phone. Um, looks like they're checking some messages and then looks like they also have a phone call. Um, at this time, as Kadari is leaving the grocery store, Jaren and Jorge had already left the store. And so they were in their car and you could see them leaving out of the parking lot. So that is how Kadari crosses paths with Jorge and Jaren. And what happens next is that they pull up next to Kadari, who's getting ready to go home, um, you know, trying to make it in time for curfew as a 16-year-old. And they ask Kadari if they would like to hang out. And Kadari agreed. So Kadari gets into the vehicle. The thing is, is that according to Jaren, um, when they picked up Kadari, they were under the assumption that Kadari was this gendered female. And so, um, because it, um, as we continue to go through the case, Kadari at the time was female presenting. Um, and so they had that assumption that Kadari identified as cisgendered female. And with that being said, they all get into the car and then they drive off back to Jaren and Jorge's apartment. There, um, the two guys were hoping to partake in a menage a trois, threesome um, relationship, sexual relationship with Kadari. Um, Kadari was not comfortable with that, but did, um, you know, express that they were fine with hanging out, playing video games, you know, for a little bit, but did still need to get home. Well, according to Jaren Jorge, who was very much attracted to Kadari, um, really started to make moves towards Kadari. And this was probably around 9.30 that night on March 2nd. And Kadari began to get uncomfortable and was ready to go home. So Kadari stated that they were not comfortable with being intimate with Jorge. And Jorge, in that moment, began to get a little suspicious. You know, why is it that? Because then, you know, Jorge, who is this uh, multiracial, cisgendered guy um, who, in his own egocentric mind, felt that he was, you know, the most attractive person out there. And how dare Kadari refuse to engage in sex with him? And as a result, uh, Jorge snaps. And this is according to Jaren, right? Because we um, have to start really looking into the series of events of this case and how all of this unfolded. And so that night, 
inside of the apartment, Jorge snaps. He begins to strangle Kadari, taking a plastic bath and shoving the plastic bath down Kadari's throat. Kadari is then placed inside of the car, thrown into the alleyway off of fourth, shot several times, and then doused with bleach before Jorge and Jan drove off. And this was around 10 p.m. on March 2nd, 2016, within an hour and a half of Kadari going to the grocery store, leaving the grocery store, getting into the car with Jorge and Jaren, going to the apartment and then being dumped along the side of the alleyway. This all happened so quickly. And what's so heartbreaking about this case is that these perpetrators were not arrested right away. They weren't even on the radar, what happened is is that there was so many twists and turns as we mentioned. Um, And what's interesting is that as we go through this, you really start to understand how this case unfolds. So when Kadari's body, blood-soaked body in the snow, in the, the hill, in the rain, right, all of these cold elements bleeding out, back stuffed down Kadari's throat, unable to breathe. As this is happening, Kadari's laying there, afraid. Jorge and Jaren gets away. And because the body was dumped in the alley where Kadari was also shot, 911 calls were immediately placed. And that was one of the reasons that Kadari's body was found quickly. And Kadari's identity an ID card was available, so they were able to ID Kadari and go back and backtrack Kadari's steps. But again, this took a while. And during this time, Kadari's mom is beginning to become worried. She hasn't seen Kadari. She has no idea where they are. The last time um, she spoke with Kadari, they were at the grocery store and was scheduled to be getting home within the next hour. And so again, around the same time as Kadari's been shot, Katrina is now anxiously starting to worry about where is Kadari. This is very out of the normal for Kadari to not make it um, home for curfew. And so Katrina and um, Kadari's you know, younger sibling goes out and starts looking for Kadari, tracing those last steps. And at the same time, you have the detectives from the Burlington Police Department who are now on scene, who have received these 911 calls and have been dispatched over to the scene of the crime where this hateful homicide of Kadari took place. And this teenage tragedy, you know, it unfolded right there in this alleyway. This poor 16-year-old kid who was just four months shy of turning 17 and getting ready to enter into their junior year of high school, life is snuffed out. And what's, you know, sad about this is that as we continue to go through this case, you know, you really get this idea of, and, the, and the tabloids and the headlines have described it as catfishing, right? Kadari was catfishing. And that is where this story of blaming and 
shaming the victim where a hateful homicide comes in and combats that, right? Because regardless, Kadari was going home. Kadari wanted to just have a good time and hang out with some potential new friends. And they, as the adults in this situation, targeted someone who they thought was cisgendered female and then went under the assumption to then who knows if it was gonna be a consensual sex act, right? Because Kadari had already, according to Jaren, declined to even partake in any form of sex with George. And so George, who becomes enraged, then, and suspicious at this time too, because how dare Kadari rejects them, then results in this hateful homicide with Jaren's participation. So let's not forget that he's some innocent bystander, right? He definitely made sure he helped transport the body to the alleyway and then also participated in the gunshots that were fired into Kadari's body. And so this case again is really just, it's just so sad, but Kadari's body is identified and Katrina goes back home. It's around 11.30 p.m. And she gets to knock on the door. And as she answers the door, detectives John Johnson and Mark Aronson arrives to the door. And they make the death notification. The 16-year-old Kadari, also affectionately known as Candace, has been found dead just a little over an hour ago. Katrina is distraught, rightfully so baffled as to what happened to her child who was on their way home from the store and who had just spent that day at school and hanging out with friends afterwards and has now been the victim of a hateful homicide all because of what? And Katrina's fears was, is it because of how Kadari identified? And Detectives Johnson and Aronson wanted wanted that information as well. They wanted to understand a little bit about Kadari because as they discovered Kadari's body, they discovered Kadari in female undergarments. They discovered um, Kadari with a bra, you know, and feminine other garments. And so they wanted to really get an understanding of who Kadari uh, was and how they identified. And Katrina conveyed that information to, you know, the detectives uh, who was on um, who was involved in this case and shares that yes, Kadari identified as gender non-binary. The detectives weren't really quite sure of what that meant and so Katrina really gave a detailed information of Kadari's life from moving from Des Moines to Burlington for a fresh start and where the Kadari was able to get into this idea of being able to express and be and identify who they truly were, but not necessarily conforming to any form of gender, but like to express in feminine clothing and then also express in masculine clothing and would also socially transition occasionally by using the name of Candace. And so this information is conveyed to the detectives and they was wondering if that is what happened here. Because of the nature of Kadari's body being found where the, the sweater that Kadari was wearing, these layers of clothing in this icy cold weather, as well as the undergarments being exposed, detectives was wondering if this was a sexual based crime, meaning that they went under the assumption, the perpetrators went under the assumption that Kadari was cis female, then discovered that Kadari was not. And then this is how the crime unfolded. The detectives wanted to just hold off on that, um, that theory to 
you know, Katrina. But Katrina was already conveying the same suspicion, stating that she always, you know, worried for Kadari's safety, though the high school was safe, which is one of the things that the detectives wanted to understand was, was there someone from Kadari's high school, a classmate, was there any form of online bullying, was any of these um, factors into play during the events of March 2nd, 2016. And according to Katrina, no, Kadari was very well received in high school, um, had a lot of great friends. There was a couple of classmates who weren't the most affirming, but nonetheless, it was never a, um, an unsafe environment for Kadari. And so um, detectives did, of course, as the investigation began, Thursday morning comes in on March 3rd of 2016. They go to the high school, begin to make the notifications, start interviewing, and then they're also going to backtrack Kadari's steps. And so one of the things they do is they take Kadari's cell phone and they're able to get that analyzed and they're able to see that Kadari was at this specific grocery store on the night of March 2nd. And from there, they can see that the phone is in like pinging connection with another phone and it's moving towards a specific location. And that is where they're able to begin to narrow their focus in on Jaron Perham and Jorge Sanders Gavez. And so it takes a while all of this to unfold. Kadari's killers would be free for a little over two years. It was around April of 2018 when Kadari's um, killers were finally convicted of first degree murder. And so, you know, as we go through this case, I just want to share with you all just a little bit of the trial footage that took place in Keokuk, Iowa. In the trial of Jorge Sanders Galvez, the first of two defendants accused in the death of Kadari Johnson, Kadari, 16, was a gender-fluid student at Burlington High School who sometimes dressed in women's clothing. His death sent shockwaves through the small Iowa community last year. Federal prosecutor Christopher Peras led opening arguments detailing some of Kadari's final moments before his death. You'll see on that high video that Kadari was dressed like a girl. He had tight black leggings on, had his nails painted pink, had a pink headband and long hair extensions to make him look like a female. And females? That was one thing the defendant and Jerron were into. Because of what the defendant did on March 2nd of last year, it was too late for Kadari Johnson to a young man with a bright future ahead of him. It's too late to bring Kadari back, but it's not too late to bring his killers to justice. And so that was from the federal prosecutor, Christopher Pinares, who was, um, you know, they were really trying to determine how to proceed with this case. Um, the trial, again, um, did take place around October of 2017, and that was around October 14th. And so as this trial unfolded, one of the things that they were really trying to determine is if they should file hate crime charges. Was this case a case of first-degree murder. This teenage tragedy where Kadari 16, you know, is seen leaving the store, as you heard in the testimony from federal prosecutor Christopher Panares, is leaving the store and is very female-presenting and expressive. And so when they came cross paths with Jorge and Jaren, it was just a recipe for a hateful homicide. 
And so the goal was for them to try to charge these two, you know, convicted killers with a hate crime. Well, in the state of Iowa, they do have a hate crime statute around sexual orientation. But in 2016, at the time of the homicide, there was no hate crime statute around gender identity and or gender expression. So individuals like myself who identify as a trans woman or individuals like Kadari who identifies as gender non-binary, they, we would not, um, our cases would not uh, warrant a hate crime statute. And so Kadari's mother, Katrina, um, has been tirelessly fighting um, with the state of Iowa and even on a federal level to make sure that gender expression and gender identity is included and um, hate crime statutes for the state of Iowa. Well, also one of the things that I want to share with you as well is this idea of gender fluidity, gender non-conforming, and gender non-binary. Our gender non-binary, gender non-conforming community is a growing and thriving community, ranging from celebrities like Jesse James Keitel, as well as others in the community, from shows like Billions with characters such as Taylor and amazing other um, visibility for our non-binary community members, it is happening. I personally um, have quite a few friends that identify as gender non-binary and gender non-conforming, and I am so happy to be able to share a little bit of that information. For those who may not be familiar with gender non-binary and or gender non-conforming communities, and then trying to understand like what that looks like. So again, the um, gender non-binary is an individual who does not necessarily identify on either binary spectrum of male and or female. That can be cis and or trans, uh, male or female. Gender non-binary typically will use pronouns such as they, them, theirs, and or even sometimes no pronouns. It just depends on the individual and their process and their journey. And so Kadari was definitely still navigating through their gender journey as a gender non-conforming and gender fluid teen. At the age of 16, um, Kadari definitely began to um, start to really find a connection with feminine expressive clothing and also um, hairstyles and nails. And so again, as you heard the federal prosecutor mention, Kadari was quite often in, um, you know, female presenting items and, and so it was and very beautiful inside and out, funny, gregarious, you know. And so when Jorge and Jaren saw Kadari on the night of March 2nd around 9 p.m., you know, they saw, a, you know, a beautiful black uh, a cis female that is in their minds in that moment on that night is what is, is who they saw and, and what they identified with and so what's really interesting is that um, again as I mentioned earlier we talk about these elements of you know really identifying and understanding we as a trans community and I think what's really important for people to understand is that we all don't express the same um, I know myself as a binary trans woman. I, you know, am very feminine expressive. I typically, you know, dress more feminine and have, you know, that, and that's my identity and my truth. But again, we have our non-binary community members, gender non-conforming community members. And again, it expands even so much more. We have a gender expansive community of gender queer and so many other identities 
But, you know, really what we want, and, there, and there's going to be several other cases that we cover throughout season two of A Hateful Homicide, where we look into this idea um, and, and of how we as a community can support and uplift our gender non-binary and gender non-conforming community members. One of the things that I, uh, that has really grown from this non-binary visibility movement is the Non-Binary Awareness Week. And what's really amazing about the Non-Binary Awareness Week is that it really, really highlights this visibility that is much needed. And I just want to just share that with you all, just that for anyone who ever wants to know, you know, when that is, that is along the months of July. Um, and it's also from July 12th to July 18th. And again, you can be an ally and or accomplice. There's resources um, ranging in multiple ways. And so please just know that that is available. And so again, one of the things that is really heartbreaking about this case too is that I really want to um, give you all a sense of Kadari's mom, um, Katrina Johnson. Again, as a single mom and Kadari was her firstborn. Um, you know, again, it's just really an understanding of what Kadari uh, was going through and the relationship that Kadari had with Katrina. And so their relationship was really beautiful when Kadari was born on July 5th of 1999. You know, Katrina was a young mom. And again, you know, living in the urban area, she wanted to make sure that her children, um, especially at that time, who were, especially in their earlier years, were um, cis um, mask and so wanted to make sure that they were less targeted by the cops, less targeted by any potential urban affiliations of gangs and or drugs. And so Katrina really navigated into uh, moving to Burlington, a space that was going to be, you know, safer. It was going to be more suburban. And so this crime should not have happened here, but unfortunately it did. Um, and so what I really want to do is, uh, and, and, and Katrina has just, again, tirelessly worked with, um, you know, the state of Iowa as well as others. And um, during this time when Kadari was first discovered, murdered, uh, shot in the alley, and then also when Kadari was discovered as well, um, you know, had to be identified by Katrina. Katrina was just so distraught and beside themselves, that uh, beside herself, that um, she couldn't speak. And so doing the sentencing back in April of 2018, especially um, Jorge Sanders Gavez, the, the, the primary perpetrator of this hateful homicide, um, an advocate by the name of Penny Galvin um, spoke on behalf of Katrina doing the sentencing um, to give that victim impact statement. And one of the things is that I just really want to share that with you all to give you an understanding of the grief that this mother has faced because of these two individuals. My son, Kadari Johnson, was a loving son, brother, grandson, nephew, and cousin. He was very compassionate and caring. He had a infectious smile. Kadari could walk into the doll room and it would be filled with light and joy. His personality was amazing. So for my 200 children and their vagina, as well as myself and other family members, to deal with this was wrong. Kadari was robbed and deprived of his life. He was still a baby. My loving baby, he still had his whole life ahead of him. And from March 2nd, 2016, until I take my last breath, I will forever have a deep hole in my heart. His birthday and every special holiday, he could definitely have to endure those 
And again, as you could hear, Kadari's mom, heartbroken, heartbroken, saddened, beside herself. You know, she couldn't even speak. And you know, you can you can actually see this footage on YouTube um, under Kadari's victim statement. And one of the things that's really heartbreaking, um, or I think it's just also a further insult to injury, is to see. You know, Jorge, in as you know, Penny Galvin is reading this victim impact statement from Kadari's mother. Jorge rolls his eyes. He doesn't care. He's not faced. He's not bothered by the fact that this mother of three is now a mother of two. That this mother has to only recollect and reflect through the visual of ashes pictures and video footage. The last footage of seeing Kadari leave the store, Katrina still watches that just to have a visual of their child's last moments. And Jorge rolls his eyes. Jaren, on the other hand, has always expressed some form of remorse. He's always stated that, you know, he wishes that he could have, you know, stopped George from doing this hateful homicide to Kadari. He also expressed that he wished that he could have encouraged George to calm down, you know, but unfortunately he did not. And the reality is, is that Kadari has been murdered. And, you know, Jaren has to face his crime and he has to face his, his charges. And that's exactly what happens. So both of them are convicted and sentenced to over 20 years in prison. And they will spend the rest of their lives in the Iowa State um, Department of Corrections. And so as we, again, you know, prepare to wrap up this case, this teenage tragedy, this hateful homicide, you know, I just really want to, you know, give you all this sense of how we need to continue to be more empathetic. We need to really be willing to learn. And for anyone in my audience who, again, is still learning about the trans experience, the gender non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender expensive communities, please reach out to us. There's tons of resources from our LGBTQ centers to, you know, also resource guides that are available through Google searches as well as the Trans Resource Hub. Please reach out to us because the reality is, is that our community as a trans and gender non-conforming, gender non-binary community is growing. And so we are here and 
What we want to make sure is that these cases against our non-binary, non-conforming community members do not grow in the same amount as our trans femme and our trans mask. And so that's why it's really important to make sure that we raise awareness around these cases. And so one of the things that I really also just want to share with you is just, again, just another moment. And this is actually from Kadari's mom, just in her own words, the, the grief that she has had to go through. I just want to share that with you all as we prepare to conclude this episode of A Hateful Homicide. My son was tragically and horrifically murdered, and I can never come back from it. Just to know that the last words my baby ever said to me was, see you later, Ma, I love you. And to only come to terms with myself to know that this see you later actually meant to see you later. I can't get that back. And as you could hear, Katrina Johnson, this grief-stricken mother, heartbroken by the fact that her eldest child, her 16-year-old, just a sophomore in high school, is now murdered. And this teenage tragedy, again, it's, it's really heartbreaking, but you could hear the anger as well. And as you know, if you ever get a chance to look at this footage, you know, she's holding, cradling this black and bronze arm, you know, almost like a newborn baby. And it's just a really evoking image because it shows you that she truly carries Kadari with her everywhere she goes. And if you learn anything from these cases as we continue to go through, please understand if you have been someone who who has been a bully, who has done violence, understand the, the impact that you're causing these victims' families. Kadari was just trying to live their life, stand in their truth and be them best selves, loving themselves, being happy and thriving as a sophomore in high school. But on March 2nd, 2016, at just 10 p.m., they would be met with a hateful homicide by the hands of Jorge Sanders Gavis and Jaron Perham. So, again, in conclusion, 
I want to say to you, Kadari, also known as Candace, we remember you, love bug. Yesterday, today, forever, and always. Born July 5th, 1999, and resting on since March 2nd, 2016. We remember you. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Please follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can follow me on Instagram at Mallory Jenna 90. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we're also, again, on the Anchor app. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Season 2, Episode 2. And stay tuned for next week, next Saturday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day.